welcome to smart cherry's thoughts this is sai from india hello how's it going doing good and how are you doing uh, living the dream that's great to hear thank you very much uh, for being on my show yes yeah, no problem at all no problem at all so uh, i thought to uh, tell about you and the work that you are doing to my audience okay yeah sure um just pleasure just introducing who i am so i'm i'm Kyle Davis uh, i I'm the head of the office of the CTO for an organization called CDW um and I work in the UK business unit. Um my role is ultimately to provide thought leadership and advisory services to our customers to help them navigate the complexity of technology and how it can enable their businesses to do better things right and how do we remove the complexity to allow um people to do great things right. um so my my role is in in kind of strategic direction and uh understanding how technology can not be the prohibitor or the blocker in a lot of cases uh, i lead a team of people so i have a, a team of chief technologists and ctos that work for myself who will do a lot of that work and go and speak with our customers and things um, but my career is um i'm i'm 35 years young um so i'm not not too old yet um and i started my life out as a developer and then worked all the way up into into where I am now and I can go into a bit more detail on that um if if you want to hear more uh that's a great journey so uh your 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 job is to uh, uh teach uh, or tell how technology works to the customer so uh, what is the scale of the businesses that you work for yes sure so the uh the customers that I, that we deal with can range anywhere from 10 20 50 people up to hundreds of thousands of people in an organization so they could be mainstream brands that you see on your high streets or inside the banking sector through to uh charitable organizations that are a lot a lot smaller as well so the CDW um as a global entity are 24 billion dollars in size um and we we're, we're basically um an enabler of technology and fulfillment of technology partner um as I was kind of mentioning my my role in that is to to help the UK market specifically um in leveraging that technology to meet their requirements and that could be anything from cloud technologies whether that's hybrid multi cloud on prem data center services and design work storage compute visibility and operations whether that's through to taking advantage of uh platform as a service uh, within the hyperscaler cloud environments through to how we provide the 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 gateway to these services through the workspace right so thinking it as the the laptops pcs phones and the software that they consume to be able to get access to those environments um and then even going a step further which is how do we then protect all that information so my role kind of encompasses everything from literally talking about uh how you can get someone connected to the internet or the network right through to um how do we make them more productive using artificial intelligence and robotic process automation as an example um it's a very very large and fulfilling role uh, which is good so can you tell something about cdw yeah yeah sure so i think for anyone that hasn't um that hasn't ever come across cdw before we we're, we're a, a basically a, a it solutions and services provider So we are there to help organizations on that journey as I was mentioning before um through fulfillment so providing them with the the things that they might need to get to their end goals that could be anything from supply of equipment software and everything else and even services at that point um IT outcomes is kind of like the second piece so if you came to see me and said hey I I want to replace my storage platform I want to look at doing um some cost governance within the hyperscale cloud environments then we can then look to provide um services and potentially products to help uh organizations get on down the control. And then the final pillar then is kind of more aligned to the business outcomes kind of piece. So um as an example a, a customer may come to us and say hey so you'll be can we have a a a a new switch right to keep it really simple a new network switch a new 48 port switch. The answer is yes we can give you that switch. Right? But the actual question is is well what is that switch fulfilling for your business by adding this 48 port switch and if you take it into like a a retail sector where you're providing cheeseburgers for example uh, out to the masses 
you could sit there and say, how many more cheeseburgers is that going to enable you to sell to your customers? Or how many more agents or um, co-workers within your environment will that enable you to service your customers and kind of get to the bare, bare bones of why is the technology being implemented to deliver an outcome for the business rather than working that out afterwards? Because that doesn't really make any sense, right? So you are in this role from seven plus years. So what you have learned? Um, I've learned that there's no single technology that is a silver bullet. Um, we like to see as technology people and, I, and I'm a developer at heart. I'm a, a technologist. I love playing with things and breaking things and, and making them work again, hopefully. Um, we also like to, as engineers and consultants, to over engineer things sometimes. And I think the thing that I've kind of learned is, is that you just got to keep it simple, right? So I like the kind of terminology of giving everything a little bit of a kiss, right? So I keep it simple, stupid. And if we keep it to that kind of level, it allows everyone in an organization to understand why we're doing something and what the outcome is going to be delivering against. Um, so the thing there for me is, is focus on the people and process, right? So they're the two main factors around successful technology adoption. Um, there's many conversations we're having at the moment in the cybersecurity space, right? So with regards to, hey, can I have the latest XDR platform? Can I have the latest endpoint attack response platform? Can you provide a managed service on this because we can't find skills in the market to help us service the requests that are coming through? So what we're doing there is, is we're basically splitting on the saying, well, why do you need that? What are you trying to overcome, right? You're saying that you need these products. Well, if that product told you there was a problem, Who's going to action it on your behalf? Who's going to remediate? Who's going to help you on your instant response, right? So who are you going to ring at midnight when someone started to infect malware across your environment? Um, and more importantly, when you ask these questions to a lot of customers in this example, they sit there and go, well, we have an instant response plan, or they sit there and go, I'm going to ring the IT person first. When actually the per first person you may want to ring might be your lawyer, your marketing person, your CEO. It might be someone completely different from IT, right? Because there may be brand reputation and damage on the way. And this is where, for me, it's that people and process comes to be really powerful before the technology comes into play. So uh, that's my next question. So you'll be talking with people who are not uh, uh, into technology, but your responsibility is to solve their technical problems. So how is your approach and how your previous experiences, you have worked as a developer, you have been into software from a long time, that engineer in you helping you to be a good uh, people's person? Yeah, I think if I roll back to like my my upbringing, ultimately, so we go way back to when I was a child, ultimately, um, and, and going into college and things, I actually took in to do computer science and IT and all these other things. But I also took travel and tourism as a as what is known as a BTEC, which is a glorified qualification, right? Um, and people are like, why, why would you do that? And I was like, because it teaches you customer service, right? It allows you to understand how to speak to people, how to tell a story, how to do all these things that basically allows you to be a, a solid human being, in my opinion, right? So that you can actually then go and have a good conversation. And by following that kind of mantra and going through my career where I, I initially started out on the service desk, right? So I was, uh, well, let me rewind that. I started out as a developer first and then I realized that it wasn't as cool as I thought it was going to be. Um, so I wanted to create the next big application and I was working for a development company where I was writing code that would pull data out of a database and display it on screen. And when you've done that a couple of times, you kind of started thinking it's not as cool as it maybe sounds. Right. Yeah. It's not the latest Facebook or Twitter app or TikTok or whatever else. Right. You're just literally displaying data on a screen. It can get quite monotonous. So I then went into the service desk and thought I'd try something different, did password resets, all those kind of things, and got talking to people at the cold face of technology. What was stopping them from doing their job? And I think that taught me a lot of things, which is an element of self-awareness and control of emotion. Because when someone's shouting at you because their printer's not working or whatever it might be, you start to understand how to kind of relay that information back and understand what the business challenge is for them. Um, and using that throughout my entire career has allowed me to really kind of bond with people at that level before going into, well, I have a solution for you or I have a technology that can fix this or I have an approach that may work. From a, a consulting perspective and an advisory perspective, um, the way that, that we do things in CDW is we go in and we create these things called requirement captures. And 
it kind of follows the framework of the usual we're going to sit and we're going to listen you're going to literally talk to us we're going to be a bit like a um an agony ant right you're going to sit there and just just tell us lots of information and we're going to sit there and go okay cool and write make loads of notes and what that allows us to capture then is the the goal of what you're trying to achieve the challenges that exist the the business outcomes that you're looking for and the functionality that is needed across the platform or technology that you may be looking to to implement and then from there as an independent advisor we can say hey everything you've talked about you can actually deliver with something you've already got or we can see a gap and say actually here's something that may be able to fix of a challenge for you to help on that journey along that as long as those conversations if you think about the business requirements that is around how you're going to manage it who how many people have you got what skills do you have today how long can you wait for people to be skilled up to manage this on your behalf and they're the kind of things that we go through is before we've even started a conversation on a sales cycle or a procurement cycle that's right at the beginning of the conversation so how how you make uh, people to uh, solve their problems because the technology is uh, changing constantly so how uh you make uh, your customers happy yeah so let's take an example right um there's this thing called generative ai right this this going round on every single social media platform right now um and everyone's trying to understand how can they use that technology to make a change in their business right and 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 the question for me to most customers is what are you trying to fix with it or what are you trying to execute by implementing generative ai or some kind of machine learning capability into your business and the answer would be most of the time is that usually two answers i want to get better insights into my data that i've never been able to get before or the other one is i want to drive even more productivity than i've ever had because if we look at the the world of generative ai specifically is around creative right it's around how do we get the information displayed in a different way and fast track an output of some sort whereas if we think about machine learning and ai in general it's around data manipulation and presentation so for us when we're talking to a customer it's like this new fancy widget technology you've heard of sounds great but what is the actual requirement for you and if someone came to me like recently and said we want to use artificial intelligence to basically replace the x number of calls we get into our contact center as an entry point and that is just a a, a triage system right so um you ask a question and depending on the result you will go to one of three different departments or one of things be like a a hunts group on a telephone system and replace that with a human bot so you would have a synthesized human voice that would respond on behalf of the generative ai and that can increase your productivity it can increase your revenue streams it allows you to handle more calls more quickly it allows people to feel like they're talking to a human being even though they may be not which then gives them a sense of kind of engagement rather than a chat box on a website this that they know they're talking to a bot at that point so it, it kind of depends on the the use cases but for me it's just strip it all the way back and then go into that conversation so selling uh, technology services and uh, products uh matching the requirements with the technology uh, uh uh services or products that you have so how is that how tough it is because you have been in technology uh, yeah. from long time and you are seeing uh, the constant change that is happening yes i think managing constant change is hard and i think predicting the future is even harder um and i think that's where by using your your partner ecosystems right so using so if you're a, a customer you're a, an organization that wants to use technology that's where having a strong uh, a partner like CDW the company I work with as an, as an example allows our breadth of expertise over i think it's about 13 to 14000 people globally that works for our organization to share that lessons learned and knowledge to our customers where we've been at the forefront and the edge of the wave coming down seeing how the technology is going to work through to the tried and tested things that we know work day in day out um and then more importantly get using that partner to get closer to the vendors that create this technology in the first place so you like see Cisco's Dell's Microsoft Amazon's um and everyone else because then that allows you as a conduit for a ideally a centralized location to get access to that information with an opinion and i think that's the most important thing is having someone that you can go to that has an opinion and you may not agree with their opinion right people don't always agree with me which is great cuz i love a good debate um but for me it's around using your ecosystems to get the information 
Um, within CW, we have the office of the CTO, which is the department that I run. And our, our core goal is around trying to predict the future of how technology can be consumed at mass. Right. So how do we do research and development and look at how do we then create package products that our customers might want to buy from us to be able to then execute on their outcomes? Um, and then that scales out to our U.S. entities and, and Canadian entities as well. So how is working for large scale uh, companies? Uh, it's interesting, right? Um, working for, for large scale organizations, a lot of people think that it's can be quite slow and it can be challenging and there's lots of red tape. And, and I think I've been at, at CDW now for for almost nine years. And for me, the reason I'm still here is because it's it's a large organization but with a very entrepreneurial mindset and it's extremely agile to the market, which is why we find as an organization we're very, very successful in what we do. Um, I've worked at a lot smaller organizations that have lots of gateways and, and red tape along the way, and then they end up going um out of business or less relevant because they can't keep up with the demand in market and i think that's where working for such a large organization in um in my opinion at this point gives you that kind of chance to look and spend time with the technology because when you work for smaller organizations typically in in the reseller and, and managed services space you you don't have the time to do that because you're maybe answering your phone calls, you're doing your business as usual, you're trying to look at what the future holds, you're trying to maintain your certifications, you're doing 15 different potential roles that would be in a larger business would be 15 people. So being in a larger business does really give you that time to focus and become a master of your craft rather than a jack of all trades. But how it is possible for you to be successful uh, being a leader and uh, telling uh and teaching uh, your customers about the leadership and technology? The, the the most successful thing is is that it's not just me. So there's, there's teams of people that help to execute on, on our go-to-market. Um, and realistically, by having those teams and having trust and faith in those people allows us to scale and have that message and conversation with our customers. With regards to educating our customers and, and helping them understand technology, it really depends on the level of engagement we've got with that customer as well. And so that could be engaging at the system admin level. It could be engaging at the board level, right? And those conversations are very, very different. If we think about the system admin, they're sat there going, well, I'm fed up of typing in this, this line of command line elsewhere and it's not working and there's this problem, there's that problem and someone's shouting at me and they're the kind of problems that they maybe see. Whereas the board is seeing a completely different problem, which is how do I manage risk? How do I increase profitability? How do I um, ensure that people are happy within their working culture and are being given the tools to do their job in an effective way? And I think it's tailoring that message at both ends, which is the key thing. I think anyone that goes into a board level conversation with a technology conversation is probably going to lose the audience within about five seconds. They, they really they may be technology savvy, but that's not what their role is. But their role is to understand how technology enables them and they're focusing on the enabler, not the actual technology, because they'll have IT directors and heads of and other people that manage the tech at that point. Um, so it, it depends on who you're engaging with is this the, the key thing for me. It's about tailoring that message to the right audience. Um, what I find really useful in that scenario is using a, a star approach, right? It's this situational task action result which if you frame your story that you're creating around that star approach, you're able to tell the story in a meaningful way. The situation was my data center set on fire, right? The the, the tasks that happened there were, um, holy hell, what do I do now to get my, my data center back online, right? And there's a load of actions I'm going to go and do to execute that. And the result was that it came back online in another data center using RDR, uh, framework within X number of minutes, hours, whatever it might be. And by framing it in that way, you get a nice little story you can tell without actually talking about the technology that did it. And then you can tailor that to be relevant to the technical audience by talking about the speed feed widget conversation that would happen in that journey as well. So using that same framework, you can get different levels of conversation. So head of the office and also our chief technology officer for CDW, uh, 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 one part of your uh, work is to be extremely logical being in technology. Another part of your job is to communicate with the people who has emotions. 
Yes. So how 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 you are able to be logical and emotional? It's challenging and it's something I'm still learning. I'll be completely honest. Um, I like to get in the weeds. I like to be very logical. Um, but at the same time, if I did that day in day out, I would probably alienate myself to an extent, right? So it, it it's a it's a self awareness thing. So I think a lot of anyone that goes to university and anyone that goes and does some kind of business management courses. They, they start to talk to you around emotional intelligence and self-awareness and, and those things. And I think by going through those activities, because I didn't go to university, right? Um, I, I decided to go into a professional career of being a techie. Um, and I'm now trying to learn those those management and leadership traits that will allow me to drive drive the organization forward and inspire and influence people to do the things they need to do to allow our business to grow. Um, and that is a, that is a, a never-ending kind of development cycle on yourself at that point because people are different their emotions are different their their desires and reasons they come to work are different and it's for me getting to understand the people you work with regularly how they work why they've come to work in the first place some people come to work for money some people come to work they love the job they do and it's understanding the really intricate things about the people so you can get the best out of them um there's this kind of like the uh, maslow's hierarchy of needs there's an example that you can go and look at. This gives you a view of the kind of things that people may relate to uh, within their lives in, in personal and professional lives, which allows you to understand how they can be uh, coached and mentored into getting the best from them. Um, the other kind of nice little tool and technique that I've, I've been using quite regularly with, with the people that I directly manage is, a, is this wheel of life concept. And some people may or may not have seen this. And if you think about a a dartboard, a round board with kind of segments in it. Um, you basically, at the end of every single segment, you put the things that are most important to you, which could be remuneration, title, work-life balance. It could be cultural fit in the organization, whatever it might be around the edges, right? And then you have 10 little marks up to that end goal. And then on that, you can say, cool, where are you today? on that journey and you may say i'm a five i'm a six right? i'm not going to question anyone that says they're a five or a six the question that, that i would ask then is what does a 10 look like right? what does the end goal today look like for you a 10 and then we can map out a journey that says right now what step changes can we make to get you to a six to a seven to an eight to a nine to a ten and then when you get to a ten you generally realize that you're not a ten you're a two and then you start the journey again um but it allows you to frame that development process and get an understanding of the individuals in a really powerful way. And what kind of businesses you work for? So we, as CW, we work with most techno, most verticals. So everything that's healthcare, technology, professional services. Um, we look at um, legal, public sector, defense. We cover all kind of breadths of vertical. Um, the ones that I've personally worked with the most um over my 15-ish years of working in in channel and and um services-based businesses is predominantly in healthcare retail manufacturing performing the one strangely um and uh, professional organizations where you can kind of start bringing legal and accounting and things together um they're the ones that i've generally worked with the most um but what we generally look for when we're hiring people is that diverse kind of background so we can bring different views to the table yeah, that's my ne next question. So, uh, working uh, for different comp uh, different industries, this diversity, how you are able to adopt yourself for uh, different uh, purposes and uh, different needs? Yeah, so I think one of the things that I'm I'm seeing as a trend in in the various roles and messaging that I've seen out to market from, from technology vendors and, and partners is the the, the vision statement. It's generally the same, like we want to enable you to get the most from your people or whatever it might be. And then the technology that enables that most of the time is the same. Most of the time. But the way that you package that message up to make it relevant is is the differentiator. So let's see, I'll give you an example. So you could be working with a banking organization and they have traders that do all of the major trades to, to basically grow our pension pots and everything else, right? Um, and they use a high-end workstation PC with lots of GPU power, CPU, memory, disk, 
six monitors. It's it's crazy, right? They are glorified mathematicians and developers, right? They are they are doing risk-based analysis on where they're going to place your investment or an organization's investment. So in that technology example, we've worked with a customer, we created a virtualized version of that, where you could do that from home, essentially. So you could have it on your phone and other monitors and screens. So you could basically make your trader situation more versatile, especially when the pandemic came around and various other macroeconomic climate challenges. So what we did there is you look at the underlying technology. And in this example, it was using things like Nutanix. It was using uh, VMware. It was using Citrix and Microsoft technologies and then HP Think clients, ultimately, and then loads of monitors, which could be whatever monitor you want at that point. That setup of technology, that blueprint, including NVIDIA GPUs in the Nutanix platform, is the same blueprint you can use in healthcare for radiology and looking at high imagery. So if you think of it as the same blueprint, the same technology and the same management approach to it, but the message to market that you take is exact is, is completely different because one's about saving someone's life and one's about driving profitability and successful trades. So for, for me, it's it, if we can get to the point where we understand that the technology enables and how those blueprints look, we can then create the right message that goes to the, the right people to then drive an outcome. So the the intention of technology is to reduce human effort and energy, and uh, you being the leader of uh, uh, of of your team and uh, uh, managing uh, 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 the business and also helping other businesses to solve their problems. So how uh, how you feel uh, uh, when it comes to uh, resp- being responsible for this uh, problem solving uh, thing? Um, I see it as a is a fantastic opportunity, right? And I think anyone that leads a team should see the technology is an enable for their team to do more things than they've ever done before in a more consistent and, and standardized kind of way and driving op- operational efficiency. Um, for me, technology is whatever we want it to be, right? It can enable things, it can disable things, right? It can allow us to do amazing things. If we think about, again, picking on AI for a second and, and how that can integrate with various platforms, that can synthesize a human's voice. I've got a power app that we've created recently that you can write a blog into and say, turn into podcasting because I've synthesized my voice on there. It creates a podcast in my voice and I've never even said it, right? So it can really accelerate the journey of a content creation thing like this is not what they're doing today. It can really accelerate that. Um, now it can also be used for bad, right? It can be used for getting into your online banking or you ring your bank and some banks have my voice is my password. Well, if I've synthesized my voice and someone steals that, they could in theory get closer to my money at that point, which is also a very, very unnerving thing. Make an assumption I have money, which I don't. So that's a shame. Um, the other thing then is as, as a leader of your departments and your teams or your organizations is just being being open to new ideas and i think there's a lot of times that the most organizations will hear the phrase we've always done it this way right it doesn't mean it's right (laughs) right and that's the perfect opportunity to challenge and look at how you can change things now for me i don't see technology as a as a as a way of reducing human engagement Right. I, I see that it is a way of in, allowing us to engage in more ways than we ever have done before. Um, so I'm not a fan of using technology to, to, to lay people off and make them redundant. And all those things. I think that's a, a wrong use of technology, because I think there's always a requirement for human emotion and empathy to come into play. So how is uh, 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 how do you see uh, the real world and, uh, and the virtual world? Now, that's an interesting question, right? So I actually wrote a blog on metaverse technologies recently. Um, so we think about the new um, Apple Vision Pro devices that came out, right? amazing piece of equipment, maybe not for the masses, but there's an amazing piece of equipment out there with over 500 patents. Um, I've been advocating for, I'm going to use the term metaverse technologies, which is spatial computing, uh, mixed reality, augmented reality, virtual reality uh, kind of combined together um, with Web3 and decentralization. Um, I think from my perspective on on this is, is how do we use those technologies? How do we augment the real world with 
additional information that you wouldn't get. So let's take an example. Me and you are walking through an office, right? And someone comes up and says, hey, nice to see you. How's the family? Blah, blah, blah. And you're sat there going in your mind going, who is that? I know I've met them, but I can't remember their name. And one of the things that I've been working on recently using um, some Rokid uh, augmented reality glasses, they look like um, kind of just a normal pair of sunglasses, if I'm honest. They have a camera on the front and using um, code, we can get it to scan that person's face as you walk up to them. And it can bring up the information that says, you last engaged with this person in Microsoft Teams on this date. This was the last message they sent you. This is their name. You could even go a step further and do a bit of OSINT on there and say, this is their, this is their Facebook profile. This is the name of their children. You can go to a lot of extent, right? Um, bit creepy, but you could. Um, and that then allows you as a, a real life person walking around the building, use technology in a virtual sense to provide you more information in the front of your eyes that you'd ever have before, right? I think take another example where you have global organizations with disparate leadership teams across the world. Or even just remote working and hybrid work in general, where you've got people joining virtually and you've got some people in a room. If you've got, say, five people in a room together and three people virtually, the three people's virtual experience, it sucks. Right. Because you're a you're a second citizen. You're just a bystander listening into the conversation to the five people in the room because it's easier to to collaborate when you're in the room together. What if you did it with technology using, again, some kind of augmented reality with spatial computing being the key aspect to it? So you were sat around a virtual table using augmented reality with physical people sat there as well, but you're all wearing the headset. And then you can lean into somebody and say, hey, I don't think this is a good idea. And when you lean in, no one else around the table can hear you other than the person you've leaned into the conversation like you would do in real life. And once we get to that kind of level of meeting experience in a hybrid way it's going to really unlock the capability for truly hybrid meetings rather than sending team messages and hands up things and then no one pays attention to you for 15 minutes and then the conversations moved on right um so i think that's where i think bringing the physical and, and or the real world and the virtual world together is going to really allow us to unlock even more productivity and how do you look at any problem how do i look at any problem as an opportunity <laughs> um, so I, I look at a, a problem and think if it was my money and my investment and it was something that I was going to spend time doing, is it worth doing? And if the answer is yes, then pursue it a bit more. There's many times and everyone hears the term things like automation for automation's sake, right? Where we'd learn to automate something and then it doesn't save us any time because no one ever actually does it more than once, right? It's kind of a waste of time. If you think about problems in that way, you're not going to waste your time on the things that don't matter, depending on the problem, obviously. Um, and I think for me, when I look at a problem, I look at the what is the problem? I ask five whys. Right. Why are we doing this? 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 And why are we doing this? And if I can't get a solid answer by the fifth why, it's probably not worth doing. Because if it's taking you that long to realize why you're doing it, imagine the rest of the time you're going to take doing something that's not worthwhile, right? And it doesn't always work, don't get me wrong, but I think if you use that kind of approach and you bring people into the problem solving with you and use that kind of approach, you come to a very quick conclusion as a group that actually this is a bad idea. You didn't went to a university and uh, you didn't uh, went to a conventional studies, but, but you're telling what exactly works in the industry. So how that mindset you developed and uh, which is working uh, to solve different problems today. Yes, yeah, so I didn't. I didn't follow traditional academia, um, and and the reason for that was, if I'm honest, I wanted to, I wanted to see what could be done without it, because I have a very strong belief that you can do so much more with your time outside of a a structured academic framework. Um, so if an example, if you're going to become a lawyer or a vet or a doctor, then I think those things are fantastic, right? Because you need that level of engagement. But when you're moving into a different type of industry, you maybe don't need that. And at the time when I finished uh, college, I, I decided that I would take a break before going to university. And all my friends went off traveling. They saw the world. They had a great time. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to go and try and get a job as a developer and, and see what it's like. 
And I managed to find a pretty stable job that would, in my opinion, was paying fairly well at the time. And I looked in and spoke to my friends that were a bit older than me that had come out of university. And they were like, they were earning not much more than what I was doing. And I was four years younger than them. So I was sat there thinking, well, I could spend four years and not really get any additional benefit at the end of it. So what I've been doing there is, is, is throwing myself into mastering a craft. So I started, once I did my development stuff and moved on, I did the service desk for a bit. I then focused on Citrix as a technology provider. And I threw myself into Citrix for two or three years. Then I threw myself into VMware and then into Dell EMC. And I became a master of a craft on different technologies. The person you would send in to configure every speed feed widget known to man, right? Which registry key manipulates the operating system to do this kind of thing, right? And just learn the ins and outs of the system. And then once I could done that four or five times, I realized that actually the approach that I'd taken to each of those technology kind of learnings and experience was the same with every other technology I then went after. Which then meant, well, now I need to start thinking about the human side of it again, which is how do I now turn this into something meaningful? How do I communicate with people? How do I do project management? Right? How do I make sure we're not wasting time on things in the wrong location? How do we prioritize? And then how do we um, market ourselves in a different way, potentially? as an individual rather than as an organization and i've got a very can-do kind of attitude i'm a problem solver by nature i like to look at a problem and find a fix for it and i think that's the kind of thing that's driven me forward and also i, I grew up from a i came from a very um uh, not from a very wealthy family or a very wealthy part of the uk so my kind of attitude was i want to succeed because i want to do better than my relatives right so <laughs> there was that kind of in the background pushing me along as well you have done a lot of certifications and uh, you are working with uh, different companies which belongs to different industries and you're talking with different people in order to solve their uh, uh, business uh, 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 which consists of number of customers uh, you and also you are the uh, you are the evidence for the evolution of the technology and the change the constant change that happened in technology in past years so how do you define today the global communication system as a CTO, Chief Technology Officer? From a global communications perspective, um, it depends on what we mean by that. We mean networking communications or collaboration communications, like Unified Comms as an example, it kind of depends. Um, or even just data center hosting, whether that's hyperscale or cloud or on-prem. Um, I think I, I would still approach it in, in the same way because luckily I only have to look after the UK business unit in my role. Um, I think if I had to learn the nuances and cultural differences in every region around the world at the same time, then that would make the job a hell of a lot harder, right? And the reason I say that is, is I know that in the United States, um, if I take that, they, they love using Cisco WebEx, right, for meeting room technology and, and collaboration. If you come to the European market, it's more Microsoft Teams based. If you go into Asia Pack, it's something completely different because it's locked down in that region for regulatory requirements. So I think that's where it kind of comes into that you start to learn a craft in a certain area again, which for me is traditionally where I live in the UK. Um, and then I will then learn things as I go along. So working with um, organizations in Dubai, as an example, there's specific things you can and cannot do in Dubai. Right? And it's, but you'll learn those things through experience. And I think the, the biggest thing for me is that, and there's, um, there's a, a guy called Kolb that created this kind of whole thing around um, experiential learning. He wrote a book about it, made millions, strangely. Um, and basically it's around understanding how you basically see, do, review, and then kind of repeat it round kind of scenario. And I think that's what, for me, whether that's communication, whether that's looking at technology, whether it's, you've, got to, you've got to experience an engagement or an implementation or get, get your hands dirty to really understand how things work. Um, I think from a global communication perspective, think about uh, networking for a second. Um, if I look at the UK as an example, um, our infrastructure is fairly OK, right? generally speaking. Um, so people from home like me today, um, I have a fiber to premise. I've got a gig um, fiber to premise connection. If I move three doors down from where I am, I can't get that strangely. Um, I have to then get a three meg download speed, which is awful, right? Um, and this is where things like Starlink with satellite connectivity or microwave technology and other things that have been used to kind of provide those kind of uh, functionality. And I think 
One of the things we've seen a lot within South Africa is the rise of uh, radio area networking, so RAN networking with microwave and things. Now, that's needed because they're not going to implement the infrastructure across the vast country to be able to provide connectivity to lots of small communities, potentially, that are in the far out regions. So I think it kind of kind of depends from a global networking point of view. Um, what we're seeing as a trend, though, is, a, is a, once we go up from the carrier, the actual infrastructure side of it is the rise of conversations around software defined one. And for me, software defined one personally for me means visibility, control and resiliency doesn't necessarily mean cost savings, right? which is one thing that people automatically think it's going to do. And I think that's where when we're looking at what we want our wide area networks and things to, to do from a global communications perspective or networking is I as a IT admin or a leader, I want to see what traffic's on there, how I'm prioritizing that traffic, how I'm making sure that that traffic is secure and going to the right location and blocking and dropping the packets that aren't needed, um, as well as being able to bond multiple links together a bit like, um, think of it for anyone that doesn't know uh, software defined one for a second. If you think about a, a uh, electrical cable, right? So you have the main cable, like a conduit, and then you have lots of link, lots of cables inside it, which will then be your positive, your neutral, your earths, all those kind of things. And they have lots of lots of copper generally inside there that carry the electricity feeds down it. Think of that as SD1. You have SD1 wrapping the conduit, and then you've then got the different types of connectivity, which could be MPLS, VPLS, it could be satellite connection, it could be 5G, 4G, cellular, it could be whatever. And that bonds those things together and turns it into a single type of connectivity, which can give you more uh, a better experience because it's going to load balance traffic between the different types that you've got on there. It gives you bigger visibility because you're controlling what goes into that pipe. And it also allows you to get higher security because then you can then encrypt and do additional security controls around that traffic as well. So I think that's we're seeing a lot more conversation in, in things like SD1. Um, but it always comes down to how much you pay today versus what you're willing to pay moving forward. Right. And sometimes that is the biggest bottleneck because we are in a contracted market at the moment with inflation at an all time high and the global uh, uh, economic challenges. So you communicate with uh, leaders of the companies. So uh, do uh, are they uh, are experts in technology? Uh, other organizations that I work with, um, some, some are, um, some have got very, very skilled individuals. Um, some do not. <laughs> um, some, some can't afford the people. Right. So if I, if I think about a charity that I work with, um, they, they have an understanding of why technology is important, but they have no idea about technology like, at all. So what they do is they outsource or outtask that to someone else to do on their behalf to take the headache away. And what they do is they ask the questions, as I said before, around business outcome. What is this going to do for the, the charity outcome? How is it going to allow me to raise more money to help more people? That kind of thing. Um, I think where if you think about how the UK and CDW that I work in is structured, uh, we have an enterprise team that focuses on large accounts. We have a corporate team that focuses on slightly smaller accounts with a, um, a public sector team that are verticalized into blue light, healthcare, central, secure defense, all that kind of stuff. And I think that's where having that kind of focus across our sales teams at this point, rather than our technology teams, allows us to have the right conversation at the right level, because they can go and canvas that information initially, rather than having me in a room to go and shake hands and have a conversation ultimately. But uh, you are being very successful. I'm sure, uh, like you said, uh, uh, you have different teams and departments to cover different things. So yeah. can I say you cover... Uh, 360 degrees of uh, uh, of a human and uh, technology communication system. Yeah, so everything I cover, so we 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 bundle our go to markets in CW in four areas, which is hybrid platforms, which covers hosting, connectivity, storage and compute, cloud services, operations of observability, automation, um, modern data and application development. Those kind of things fall in our hybrid platforms pillar. We then have our modern workspace which is where we have things around device periphery supply, endpoint management, application lifecycle management. We look at um, the kind of like ITAD kind of disposal and erasure services through to frontline worker solutions and mobility and productivity tooling like M365 and Google G Suite and things like that, through to how we create custom offerings for let's say retail or healthcare that fall into that using IoT and smart tech. 
Then of our security one, which is everything from infrastructure security, data, applications, user security, SOC tooling, managed services, advisory services, virtual CISO, all that kind of stuff that fits inside our security pillar. It's a lot more than just firewalls, right? Because people always think, I've got a firewall, I'm fine. No, you're not. Um, and then you've got digital enablement, which is our fourth focus area, which is where we have an alphabet soup of things, which is ITSM, ITAM, ITBM, ITOM, RPA, CRM, ERP, all the alphabet kind of things fall into that area because they're around how do you enable a business to become digitally sound. Um, and that's what they can do. And that's how we kind of, at a high level, bundle our technology areas. So my role is to kind of oversee the technology view and direction for those areas with the chief technologist running for each of those pillars. Um, with regards to people management, I manage the people that then do that. And then I also have to then manage upwards to our leadership team, as well as outwards to our partners that we work with to make sure they're happy and feeling loved as well. And then I also have a team called uh, product management. And that group of people take the random ideas that are in my mind and they turn it into something that we can maybe sell. So a, a managed service, a package service of some sort. Uh, and those people are less technical, but they have a framework and approach to take the information from our minds and turn it into a sellable product. So what you don't know about technology? What do I not know about technology? A lot. <laughs> um, I, I, am, I am going back to my thing earlier. I used to be a master of certain things. I am now falling into that jack of all trades kind of scenario, right? Which is looking at how the technology drives an outcome rather than the, the deep understanding around how, how to create a data model in a large language model, for example. I don't know how to do that. Right? Not yet. I'm actually doing a course on it at the moment just to educate myself. But I'll never do that in real life. Right. So I'm never going to have the level of experience. So in my view, I would hire someone to do that or I'd build a team of people that know that area and that craft. Um, and I think that's where when you become a manager and a leader rather than a, an individual contributor, you start to look at how you bring in the right people to execute rather than trying to do everything yourself. Because it is impossible for anyone in technology to understand the breadth of capability that we have available to us today. Um, yeah, and that's, that's kind of a, a whistle-stop tour, really. So you know a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of things in technology. Uh, I, I can understand that. Uh, how you can be so passionate about it? I saw your website. Uh, uh, I saw uh, about me page about you, which says about you. It shows extremely you're passionate about technology and uh, you're explaining how you are into technology and uh, how uh, it is making you feel uh, do uh, work and uh, wake up every day and go do it. Yeah, I think for me, I've, I've always wanted to work with technology. Right? From, a, from being a five-year-old child and asking my parents to get me my first computer and them saying no because they couldn't afford it through to then getting something and working working through that and breaking things and fixing things. Fundamentally, I'm a problem solver and technology comes with problems. Like Whether it's the best product in the world or not, there's always a problem and it doesn't necessarily mean the technology is wrong. It could be the people in process. But I like problem solving and that's why I love working in technology because every day is different. Every conversation is different and it allows us to to stretch our our minds and, our, and exercise our, our one of our muscles, our, our brain and everything else, right, to actually do things differently every day rather than going into the same job, doing the same thing day in, day out. That, that for me personally, would be would be a bad place to be. Um, so why am I passionate about technology? It enables me to do that. It's pretty cool, right? There's so many cool things we get insight into. And I think that if we look at our, our future and, and I've got a small child, as an example, um, and I look at what will be available for him to consume as technology in 15, 20 years time, it's going to be amazing, right? And and I feel slightly jealous of the things that he's going to get to see in the future that I'm not going to get to play with. And I think that's for me, if we can accelerate that, I get to see more of it <laughs> as well, whilst enabling my, uh, my child to see that and, and use those things responsibly in the future. And uh, how to have a mindset like you, which uh, which can solve uh, any problem? Uh, since uh, it's a very important question uh, for most of the people to get answer for. Yeah, how how to have a mindset like me? Well, firstly, don't be like me. <laughs> it's the first one. Um, 
I think I think it's just be open minded and and have a create a process that works for you. Right. So people say to me, what what is your biggest superpower? I have a level of ADHD or autism or whatever it is that allows me to think of things in slightly different ways. Right. Not everyone has that superpower. Right. And I think um, from my perspective, if, if you want to kind of like become more engaged and enabled, you've just got to give it a go. Right. And you've got to be willing to fail and learn from your mistakes, because if you're not, then technology is the wrong industry for you to be in, um, because you're going to get things wrong. And things in some cases will go terribly wrong as well. Um, and you just got to learn to kind of take it on the chin and, and move on. And where we are today when it comes to AI? Say that again, sorry. Uh, where we have, uh, I mean, uh, where we have reached today in technology, uh, because we are we are working on artificial intelligence, and you saw what happened before a few years ago, and uh, yeah. how, what is going to be future? So, uh, understanding the yesterday uh, and uh, thinking yeah. about tomorrow. If I, if I say using artificial intelligence is, is the key thing there, um, people are automatically assuming that artificial intelligence is going to be the rise of Skynet and Terminator, right? And for as much as in the future that could happen, in theory, I'm not a, I'm not a, a, a very well uh, distinguished person in that field, right? But if that was going to happen, then it's our responsibility to put the governance and the policies in place, whether that's at a regional governmental country level or whether that's in an organization to to prohibit the the, um, the impact that could happen. I think if we think about AI, what was the, the if it, I always ask this question, if you think about artificial intelligence for a second, how many people were using artificial intelligence 10, 15 years ago? And most people sit there going, I'm not quite sure. Who remembers Clippy, right? The little clip thing from Microsoft. He was in a level of artificial intelligence, pretty basic, but he was a level of artificial intelligence. You've been using artificial intelligence every day in your life, which is glorified machine learning for a second, right? But ultimately, spell checker, right? We've had spell checker and word processes for, I don't know, 15 years or more, right? So if we've got that level of engagement and we've become accustomed to it, things like OpenAI and ChatGPT and the various new things that will come out with Bard and Copilot and all the other things in the market, it's just going to become part of your life. And it's the responsibility for the organizations creating these products to help drive the governance and policy that prevents bad behavior. Um, I, I, I'd like to think that people will use AI responsibly, but there's always going to be an outlier of people that won't. Uh, and there's not a massive amount we can do about that today. Um, but yeah, take away from me on, on AI, go and, go and have a play. If you can dream it, you can think of it, you can build it, right, with AI. You just need to have time, effort, and sometimes money to do so. And uh, what is what are those qualities in you that are making you to uh, solve problems for the companies which have uh, a big size? Um, I think the, 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 the qualities in me are, I like to listen to the challenges, understand the problem, Take the problem away, right? Don't ever give someone an answer straight away with regards to a problem statement because it's probably going to be wrong, right? Take it away. Have a think about it. Come up with three ideas, right? And generally, the ideas can be bundled into what happens if you do nothing, right? What happens if you do something different versus something transformational? So they're the three kind of things you look at. You look at those three and you bundle your ideas into those areas. It'll enable you to just come at it from different angles. And there's a there's a concept called um, uh, the uh, six thinking hats, I think it's called. And basically, you pretend to be six different people. A little bit weird, but it allows you to be pretend you're six different people. And you pull apart your idea with different viewpoints. And then at the end of that, you have a way of making those ideas stronger, those solutions stronger. And I think for me, it's it's reviewing what you're doing while you're doing it and putting those different perspectives into play. They're the kind of attributes that I, when I'm hiring people. Generally, I'm looking for someone that is got the right attitude, the right work ethic, 
has a bit of self-awareness and, and emotional intelligence and can reflect on things. They don't sit there and talk for an hour in an interview because they're not willing to listen potentially. And then also, um, do they believe that a finished article? Because if they do, then they are wildly mistaken. Right. And I think that even for myself and even for people that have been in the industry a lot longer than I have, none of us can say we are a finished article. And I don't think we ever will be able to say that, unfortunately. Uh, you have the same brain when you was working as a software developer and you have the same brain when you're working and being the leader for a team and solving problems for a company and for different businesses. So mm-hmm. how how can that is possible? For a single person, um, it's 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 called learning, continuous improvement and development of yourself. Um, if I think about the, the way I approach things as a developer, we're very similar to how I approach problem solving now, right? Like debugging code, you're going line by line, logically looking at what's going on. Same scenario, right? In life in general, um, you just don't get a nice little debug thing to help you. Um, the the, the kind of like thing for me that we're moving away from technology into people management is is really finding someone to coach you when you do it would be my biggest piece of advice because as an individual contributor the most important thing to you is you when you're a manager of people the most important thing to you are the people that are working with you right and that takes a very for a lot of technical people, that is the biggest stumbling block that they have because they're still thinking about themselves rather than about the team mentality. And that can take a while to overcome. It took me a long time. I, 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 I felt I was a very successful individual in the roles that I did. And when I got asked to lead a team, I thought, yeah, why not? This sounds like a great idea. And I speak to my, the team that I originally took on still now. We go out for evenings and things. We've built very good relationships. But when I first took that leadership role on, I was the worst manager ever. Right. Because I wanted them to work just like me. I wanted them to be me. And you can't expect people to work to that level and, and be you. Right. Because they are them, not you. Uh, and I think that's the thing you need to get used to is, is when you move into like a leadership role or a management role is, Everyone's different. And generally speaking, they're not going to meet all of your expectations. And what is Mr. Tech Talk? So Mr. Tech Talk is my personal brand online. Um, so YouTube videos, blog site, podcasts, various things, lots of public speaking as well at events like the MWare Explore, Microsoft Ignite and a few other things. Um, it's just my my outlay to put thoughts out there and opinions. Um, there's more things coming in that space. I'm going to start doing more consumer technology reviews as well. So thinking about the the office I've got here, I've got loads of technology that I use day to day that I can talk about and how we use them. I'm going to be talking about how generative AI can be used and how you can create applications in Power Apps, for example, from Microsoft to create productivity enhancements, um, as well as kind of uh, reviewing some of my like hobbies, these things around uh, gaming. Right. So I like having a gaming PC and a setup and all those kind of things and monitors. And it's like going into the detail of those and why they're important in those situations. So I'm going to I'm going to kind of start to diversify the brand from, hey, this is Kyle. that's very professional and does all these things about work to. Yes, he does that. But he also does a lot of other stuff that you can use in your day to day lives. Like really bad example. If you were a bad parent, you could create a bot to read stories to your children at night. Now, I wouldn't ever advise that because it's a horrible thing to do to your child, but you could. And I'm going to be creating a video on that in a few days time because I tried it and my son thought it was me, <laughs> which was slightly worrying because that means he doesn't know me very well. Um, but, yeah, that's that's the Mr. Tech Talk brand. It's my opinions, my thoughts and kind of the, the, the life of me in technology. So as a head of the office of uh, CDW, as a chief technology officer, what is your observation about my work? Have you seen any videos of mine on YouTube? Yeah, yeah. So I've watched a few of your videos, like dealing with some of the guys from AWS and talking about the future of what they're up to. I think it's great. I think more people creating content like this and sharing what we do in this industry is what's needed, right? Because it's a, it's a bit like the Wizard of Oz. The hit, people are hidden behind curtains, right, doing the things that they do. And there's not many technology technologists and people out there that are willing to 
to put their head out of the curtain and say, hey, this is what I do. Come and have a look. And then you realize it's it's pretty cool. Right. And I think if we want to really bring new talent into the industry, we need to be able to share these things with them. And if we think about the younger generations coming through, they want TikToks, they want short in short, real information and all that kind of stuff. And I think doing this kind of stuff that you're up to as well is going to, is going to really help drive that into the into the new generation of workforce as well. And about my questioning in this conversation. Yeah, good. Really good. I think questioning in the conversation for me, I, I like a strong debate, right? So I like to be questioned. I like someone to say, well, I like even more someone to say, I disagree with you, Kyle, right? Because then that really gets into an, an emotive conversation, right? So I think if you were to, as it, I did this on one of my um, interviews with a guy called Duncan Epping, who is one of the um, CTOs at, um, at VMware. And I said, well, I don't agree with you. And he suddenly went, what do you mean you don't agree with me? It's like, I don't agree with you. And he was like, but I'm the person that's got the patent that developed this stuff. And I was like, I know, but I still disagree with you. <laughs> right? and, it, and it brought a bit of humor into the thing as well. I think they're the kind of things that I think people like to see. And I think if we if we bring more humor and human humanity into these things, it's really good. And I think your questions are, are pretty to that point. And uh, one last question, uh, I, uh, it's extremely valuable for me. I did master's in software engineering, also bachelor's in computer science and engineering. Right now I'm working for, uh, as a, a DevOps engineer and a software developer for a UK company uh, mm-hmm. as a uh, freelancer. Also I'm an intern, uh, uh, cloud DevOps engineer intern in a, in, a, in a company in my city. So apart from that full-time roles and uh, interviewing experts like you, who are into different uh, countries and who are into uh, different uh, uh, regions and uh, who are into uh, different companies uh, and uh, who are also people who are non-tech, uh, non-technical people. I interviewed the doctors, police officers, authors, uh, psychologists, doctors. Being a technologist, me being uh, doing completely a technology work, talking with uh, uh, global experts and people who belong to completely different regions in the world, how this experience is going to helpful for me in my technology career. Massively, right? Because if you can talk to those different types of people, you can talk to anybody, right? And I think that is a, as a technologist, right, doing DevOps and cloud technologies and things, there's a lot of people you'll meet on that journey that sit there and and then don't ever speak to anybody, right? And they're fantastic people, don't get me wrong, they're amazing people. But they're not the ones that are going to be driving things forward in the future because they can't articulate what they've done and why. Or even more importantly, let's just say you had to explain to a doctor or a police officer what DevOps was. If you can make it simple enough for someone that doesn't understand technology to understand the reason why it's important, then you're on a great journey at that point. Right. Because the biggest thing in our industry, we like to make things sound complicated to make ourselves feel fantastic. When actually we can really make things simple by talking about it as if a five-year-old child would understand it, right? So I've got a six-year-old child now and I like to run ideas past him, right? Because if he doesn't get it, then not everyone will, right? And I think that's the kind of thing, if you're doing that and you're talking to different people, it's great for your communication. I also think it's great to give you ideas as well because they will give you a different perspective. So I asked the same, similar questions to- uh, to uh, to the vice president of Amazon Web Services from Seattle that I asked you. I interviewed him and I asked the same questions. I got the similar answers today from you. Yeah, it's. It, I think that's the thing. I think anyone that's doing this kind of stuff already is going to mostly give a similar answer. Um, I think what would be really interesting is imagine going to do their job for a day. So imagine going and working with the VP at Amazon for a day. And because realistically, they can tell you what their job is, but you don't know what it is like until you are there. Right. So one of the things I've been contemplating is how can I go and shadow someone for a day? How can I go and see what they actually do? And then I can take that away and say, do you know what? I think there's a really good use case for a piece of technology or a, a process that could really redefine that market. Right. And I think that if we can get to that level, takes time and willing and, and obviously you're not going to be allowed to follow police people around because that would be uh, not allowed. Um, but I think if we can get to that level of insight, then I think it will really unlock the capability for us all to change things as we move forward. 
can i put this audio and video clip on my podcast website internet social media everywhere with your permission yeah there you go permission that's perfectly fine and also on youtube yeah also on youtube yeah you can put it wherever you want really as long as it's not on any uh, horrible platform <laughs> sure and uh, can you share your web links with my podcast listeners so that they can follow you can you spell it through Yeah sure so you can find me on www.mrtechtalk.com that's m r t e c h t a l k.com so that's mrtechtalk.com and if you want to go to my youtube um you can search for mr tech talk again and you will find me on all platforms and instagram and tiktok and all these random things um you can also if you want to fast access to my youtube channel it's youtube.mrtechtalk.com So I'm using DNS to forward it onto YouTube as well to make it easier to find. Um, but yeah, that's the best places you can find me. Again, on LinkedIn, I'm not Mr. Tech Talk on LinkedIn. I'm Kyle Davis because you know it's a professional network. Um, feel free to search me up there. If you search for Kyle Davis, that's K Y L E D A V I S, and then put C D W at the end, so that's C D W. You'll be able to then find me on there as well. uh it's definitely uh, I, i'll put those links in my website as well people who visit my website can able to see your links and can able to learn uh, uh what, what you say on on the digital pa- platforms thank you very much kel for your valuable time and sharing some of your experiences and, and answering to some of my questions no it's been it's been great thank you for the uh for the experience it's been fantastic thank you so much bye